The Anchored City Podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. Seasons episode of the Anchored City Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. Over the past couple of years, the world has experienced a global pandemic. The stories of the pandemic and its effects are as varied as the people that lived through the COVID era. On this episode, we're thinking about the pandemic stories of Anchorage. My guest today is no stranger to Anchorage residents. Julia O'Malley was voted the best print journalist in the 2021 Anchorage Press Press Picks. In addition to being well-known for her work in Anchorage, O'Malley has written for the New York Times, The Washington Post, High Country News, Today.com, The Nation, The Guardian, National Geographic News, and Eater. In 2019, she released the book The Whale and the Cupcake, Stories of Subsistence, Longing, and Community in Alaska. She has been awarded the Berger Award from the Columbia School of Journalism for a series of stories, The Things That Happened, Two Boys in Cancer, and a Scripps Howard Foundation Ernie Pyle Award for the Best Human Interest Writing in America. Currently, she's a writer-in-residence for the Anchorage Museum and is seeking to tell Anchorage's stories of the pandemic in a series of articles for the Anchorage Daily News titled Neighbors, Stories from Anchorage's Pandemic Years. Here's my conversation with Julia O'Malley. And there are deserts That I have yet to cross and I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have you Hi I'm Julia O'Malley. I'm a longtime journalist here in Anchorage. And um, this year I am writer in residence at Anchorage Museum, working on a project about how the pandemic years have changed us. All right. So I don't know actually what a writer in residence does, and I'm sure that listeners probably don't either. So tell us what a writer in residence does and what does that look like to be a writer in a residence at a museum? Well, um, basically, I am getting paid as a contractor to write and explore a topic, um, and that work could maybe uh, inform other things that the museum does. So um, part of what I'm doing is writing stories. I've done a ton of interviewing um, to kick off my story writing to kind of give me a sense of themes and stuff. 
And then um, I also teach writing and I have a little Instagram writing project with um, pandemic related writing prompts for journaling. Um, so every other week right now, I'm teaching a small writing group at the Seed Lab um, as sort of a way to get people to tell their own stories about the pandemic. Um, so that's what I do. But I think writers and residences do different things at different places. But I would say, like, because it's journalism, it's sort of a re there's a research component to it. And the museum is, um, you know, a research and documentation sort of institution. So in that sense, a lot of my interviewing is like a way to collect um, a history of what is what we've been through, um, you know, kind of like a point in time set of interviews. So. So you said you're interviewing a lot of folks, like how many folks are we talking about that you interview? Um, I would say at this point, I've probably talked to more than 50 people. Um, and uh, some of it has been broader and some of it's been more specific, but it's um, just asking them about, you know, things that they've experienced over the last couple of years and, and how it's changed their perspective. Um, so, yeah. And you mentioned another way you're gathering is through folks writing their stories and at the seed lab and so on. How many people are engaged in that project? Um, well, the groups are really small because it's an hour long lunch hour thing. So um, there are just six people who have showed up and we have done, I think, three. Um, I have another one this week and they've been really successful. So we're probably going to extend those into the summer. Um, I'd like to do some longer writing workshops, which we haven't really coordinated. And I want to do a youth one um, also. So we're sort of, you know, we're just sort of seeing what works. Um, we're trying that out. But yeah, it's pretty small. I would say like probably like 25 people have participated so far. Are there other ways that you're gathering stories as well? Or are those kind of the two primary ways? Well, the journaling project on Instagram, um, I put out prompts and then people share their journal pages um, in the Instagram stories. And so that would be like another way things are kind of coming up that way too. Um, and then I do like my own, I participate in that project as well. And so then sometimes I make videos of myself reading and I put that out and then people respond to it. Um, so I guess those would be the ways that we're doing it so far. We, oh, we also did a survey. Um, which we sent out to through the Anchorage Daily News. And I think about 120 people or something like that have answered it. Um, and that asks some questions about people's experiences as well. So in all of that gathering, interviews and people writing their stories and surveys and stuff, what are some of the themes you're hearing? How did people experience the pandemic years in Anchorage? Well, uh, I mean, this isn't true for everyone, but there was a lot of loss that people experienced, um, losses large and small from, you know, just missing their family at Christmas time to like actually losing family members to illness um, and uh, losing out on other things like the experience of being with someone in the hospital or the experience of having someone present at their birth or, um, weddings or, you know, being all of the rituals of being in school, like prom and graduation and, um, all of that kind of stuff. So that would be one would just be sort of loss and grief and grieving. Um, and those things kind of trickled out in all kinds of ways. Some people were, are angry about it. Um, and other people are sad. 
some people don't even realize kind of how grief is working on them. Um, then there are a lot of people who had these kind of personal reckonings where they were like, what am I doing? The pandemic, especially, you know, like one group of people, parents who were forced to really reckon with what do they really want to do because the pandemic required people to like parent their kids and teach their kids while they were also trying to work. And so people have really reframed life in that regard sort of said, I just, I either want to do like, I, I either can make this work or I really can't. And these are the things I think are important. And similarly, like people working in the um, service industry, many people left that field thinking, you know, or I talked to people who left that field being like, you know what, like, I got to do something else. Like, this isn't actually what I wanted to do. Um, so, so there's some of that, um, which is sort of reinvention. And, um, and then now, um, as we're sort of, even though there's like a kind of a small increase in coronavirus numbers, um, now people are really re-entering their lives that they left behind in different ways and deciding what to keep and what to not keep. Um, and also it's just awkward. Awkwardness is a general theme. <laughs> Were there any themes that showed up when you were like you started the project and you never maybe didn't see coming? Like, I'm going to start asking people about the pandemic. Some of the ones that you mentioned seemed like they we there were things that maybe we were aware of or you were aware of going into the project. But did anything show up in the interviews where you're like, oh, that's interesting? I didn't really necessarily see that particular avenue or aspect before I started asking questions. One interesting reckoning is just people's sense of place. Um, and you know, their sense of, well, this is the town that I live in and here is why I live here. I think people lost their sense of community, but deeper than that, of their sort of their idea of our, what the culture of the place is, you know, like, um, what is Anchorage? Who are we? What makes us who we are? What are, how are we here? What is the way we are here? And people really question that all over the political map to, you know, being like, I thought that I could be this, who I am, and still my neighbors would talk to me anyway and invite me to the barbecue anyway. And that got tested, you know, so there's sort of that. And also, why do I live here? What What's my choice? Why did I make the choice to be here in this place? And people are really kind of, we're are reckoning with that or thinking about that more than I had expected. And people, you know, the other thing was just that people made families, they rehydrated it, you know, or whatever they, they, uh, it's not the right word. Um, I don't know what I'm looking for, but, um, but they like, you can't stop humans from connecting. So even in isolation, people you know, they form these tight bonds with other people, um, you know, and one of the writing prompts that I did, which was really sweet, the things that came out of it were just the kind of people you hang on to, who are the kind of people that you hang on to. And, um, and, you know, I think that those, that idea of who it is I want in my life is something that has really um, come up for a lot of people. Like what, who are the kind of people that you hang on to when you can't have everybody anymore? Um, so that was more, that was surprising to me or I didn't anticipate that. I guess I should have, but. 
you, you maybe alluded to it a little bit when you were talking about the idea of the sense of place that this was a place where you could have differences, but still get invited to the barbecue. Like did some of that, I mean, there's been a lot made of but like kind of division in the country sort of pre pandemic, but then also really aggravated by the pandemic. And did, did that show up in your interviews as much as it appears sort of in general media, there's been a lot of talk about like just the differences in the way that the pandemic was handled and all that. Was that a theme that ran through um, sort of the stories you were hearing or is it more um, just sort of on a personal level, if that makes sense? I don't know if that's a very good question. Um, one thing is that there appeared to me to be across the board, a real desire to reconnect. Um, and that people were really tired of the politics um, and the heat about things like whether or not people are vaccinated has really kind of cooled um, some and, you know, and the, you know, a lot of the stuff seems to have cooled off a little bit. Um, but there is just a desire to get back to the feeling of the place that we people are nostalgic for who knows if that actually existed but um i think people are just tired of the fighting and that you know and i i don't know that that's happening everywhere but here it seems like um you know there's people who have some serious access to grind people who lost their businesses are mad and there are there is a there is definitely a thread of anger um, people who feel really strongly that kids should not have had masks in school and saw poor outcomes for their kids because of the isolation of the pandemic really want to blame someone. Um, you know, there is this thing of like not connecting what happened in Anchorage to like a larger thing, you know, just to being like this town bruh, did it to me, but I'm like, man, this thing is happening, happened everywhere. Um, and politicians were all trying to figure it out and decision makers and public health people are all trying to figure it out. So there's this, there is this like still kind of myopic perspective that comes up sometimes that's just like, oh, this town and we should have handled it different, but like, you know, it, we didn't really measurably handle it much different than anybody, any place. So, um, so I don't know, um, also misinformation, and like really holding tight to it and needing to repeat it and stuff like that seems to kind of have gone by the wayside or just like, you know, people are just more focused on other things. I really liked what one pastor said to me, which was like, I'm like, well, how do we solve all this? There's so much tension. And he was like, we just have to let it dissipate. And for whatever reason, that's really stuck with me. Like, I think it's dissipating, um, you know, maybe not totally, but in some ways. That makes me wonder, like, and I know you can't speak for the entire rest of the globe, so this is sort of an unfair question, but was there anything that showed up that you found being really unique to Anchorage's experience of the pandemic that maybe was different? I mean, I know we were all, in some senses, going through this all together. Um, certainly, you know, it was a worldwide pandemic, but was there anything that you picked out that was maybe unique to Anchorage's experience? 
well, this is weird. And it's, this is coming out this kind of sideways, but I happen to be working on this, um, this subject right now, but um, people's relationships through uh, like, like stuff, like commodities, like the sense of um, what you have stored or gathered and your level of preparedness. That's like this piece of the Alaskan psychology that's like really well developed, this idea that we're provisioned and ready for survival. Um, and I think there was a way in which Alaskans were uniquely prepared for some of the hardship and weirdness of the pandemic in a practical sense, just things like people have stores, they have extra stuff. Um, I mean, I'm working on a story about what, <laughs> what, what's left over in our pantries says about us like you know and I have asked on social media and, the, and people are hilarious where it was like I don't know why I just like bought like a million things of like sardines and I'm they're still there um but that thing of like not you know people people were really aggravated or stressed out outside of Alaska by that idea of not being able to get stuff at the grocery store and we're just used to that I guess um and so there's a way in which we just like weren't ruffled by empty milk cases or whatever because it's just deep in our dna to like be annexed from the world in that way um so i guess that's a unique alaskan thing yeah, supply chain issues are not necessarily something foreign to alaska in general so that does make yeah. sense but, oh yeah it's just not here okay it'll show up again somewhere down the line and i would say too alaskans are just tolerant to a certain extent, I would say that some of the political fractiousness that occurred in our community that seemed really tied to sort of national narratives, that is somewhat foreign to our politics. Like, I don't know that we generally get worked up about sort of national things the way that we did you know, about masking and vaccines and stuff and the, or mostly masking in the assembly chambers. That's like, like a little bit outside of our usual politics. And I think, um, I think that uh, we might be returning to a more moderate or like sort of practical or local kind of just less fractious dialogue. I don't know. I think maybe not, but um, it just seems like people got exhausted by that. So. So you mentioned you're working on a story and I know you have a series of them running at ADN. Is there other places that folks can hear kind of the stories that you're telling as you hear all these stories and then write them down and, and send them out? Where can people access the stories that you're you're working on? Um, they are all running in ADN. You can find links to them also on the museum's website and through the museum's social channels. Um, I do eventually archive them on my website, juliomalley.com. Um, but that's pretty much where, and then you can figure out that they show that they're coming. If you follow me on social media, either Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, so those are sort of the ways to ways in but yeah I'm always looking for story ideas I hear all kinds of stories now like <laughs> um, some of them aren't totally pandemic related but it's just like the stories seem to find you it's funny like that 
So you titled the, the, the series Neighbors, Stories from Anchorage's Pandemic Years. So is there any significance to naming it Neighbors other than you're talking to your neighbors in Anchorage? Well, so there's this old saying that you never win fighting with your neighbor. Um, and, and it's true that, you know, at the end of the day, we still have to live together. We are still neighbors. People have been so isolated in their houses. They haven't seen their neighbors. There's this like weird phenomenon in the springtime where suddenly you remember who lives on your street because you've been like inside and in your garage and in your car. And all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm here waking. Oh, hello. Um, but um, so there's kind of that idea that we are still neighbors, that we are still connected, that we are still geographically located next to each other. Um, and that we have to, we have to sort of, you know, wrestle with that, make peace with that, figure out how to coexist, um, even though there have been some deep divisions. Early on in the pandemic, I was talking with some friends on a Zoom call, and one of them had mentioned that the pandemic was an apocalypse. Um, and he was using it in the terms of like, you think of apocalyptic movies, <laughs> but one of my other friends said, well, the other definition of apocalypse is that it's something that's being revealed. Um, and that stuck with me kind of all through the pandemic, that the pandemic was revealing different things. So I'm wondering if, if you would have an answer and maybe you've already said it, but what did the pandemic reveal about Anchorage? Man, that's an interesting question. Um, my dad told me that it is a, was like a social experiment where you inject a lot of fear into like a cohort and then isolate them. Um, and I don't know that Anchorage is really any different than any other place, but the result is that it eroded trust in each other and in the institutions that we use in order to function as a democracy. Um, and it made us susceptible to misinformation. And um, so I don't know that Anchorage is all that different. The other thing it revealed, I think, was a, an, an enormous amount of resilience and ingenuity people figured out how to make things work. You know, we still had Zoom gatherings and proms outside and, you know, you name it. But, um, and, you know, women had babies by themselves in the hospital and went home and had no one around them and, you know, like, and made it through that. And so I think it showed us who we really are in certain ways. We also realized that like we were working too much and we were ignoring our kids and like, you know, maybe we don't need to work so much, all that stuff. So I don't know. I'm just going on now. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. I, I'd love to hear what you, how you would describe your experience of the pandemic. So you've been asking lots of folks about their experience, but what, what was your experience of the pandemic? pandemic was horrible um, for me because I was working as a news editor. So really feeling responsible to try to let the public know what was happening. Um, and the news was just relentless and important. And at the same time, I had no support. And I have two little boys. Um, 
And it was just wrenching to be like shutting a door in the face of my kid who's freaking out because I needed to be like on a Zoom call um, because I needed to get work done so that my community could like know where to go pick up free COVID tests or, you know, whatever. That stuff seems simple, but it's really important that that's right, you know? Um, And so the pandemic exhausted and I was unable to do any creative work. I just could like survive. Um, It just depleted me to this point where I felt sick. Like I, I quit my job. Like I, um, I couldn't do it, um, at a certain point. So I was lucky to be able to switch jobs. I mean, speaking totally, frankly, as a mother who's trying to work, um, it was, it was near impossible. And I feel like it, yeah. And the stress of it was just unrelenting because there were just like so many things where you don't have enough information and you're supposed to make a choice. You know, I have a kid who has really serious asthma. So I was like trying to keep him from getting COVID, but that meant he had to stay in the house and like play video games instead of playing soccer indoors. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know. Um, was that the right choice? Probably some people would say no, but at the time it seemed like the right thing to do, you know, I don't know. So anyway, all that stuff just knocked me out, man. Um, to be honest. Yeah, that's all real, the real life that's going on in the background of, of making sure, yeah, you're getting information out to the community that they need. So thanks for doing that, even though it was hard and rough. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope it was a good decision. Moving well, forward. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like this project is really renewing because I get to talk to people in my town. Um, and it reminds me why this town is full of mysteries and you know, revelations all the time. Um, if you just talk to people. Well, the last question that I always ask folks when I'm interviewing them is, is about what they do as far as spirituality or self-care or mindfulness. Um, what do you do that keeps you centered in the work that you're doing? Oh man. Well, I really enjoy attending church when I can get there. Um, which is at St. Mary's. And what I like about that church is um, the contact with longtime Alaskans, because there's like a pretty old, it's like an older congregation. Um, And some of those people I have known, you know, my whole life. Um, And, you know, they were elders when I was a child. So just to be around them is really steadying. And um, so I do that. And then I try to, I do a ton of yoga. Um, and I just try to, because I actually think that there's something about breathing that's really mindful. Um, so that those are my main, my main squeezes there. Um, I'm like really, I'm a goal setter and, um, I'm also somebody who really believes in just like writing, squeezing it in for five minutes. Um, and so I do a lot. I try to regularly quick write for free for five minutes as well on the daily. On this podcast, we're seeking to connect with Anchorage's soul through her histories, stories, and people. 
Those stories include recent stories, such as how Anchorage residents experienced the pandemic. My thanks to Julie O'Malley for sharing with us what she's been hearing and capturing of the COVID area stories of Anchorage. Until next time, be good out there. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we are grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner.